Mr. Musk! Uh, yes, Janet? I have today's news briefing for you. Okay, uh, give it to me then, Janet. The Tesla Model 3 was the best-selling car in the UK in December 2020. Oh, that's good news. SpaceX launched the Turksat 5A on what is SpaceX's 104th launch. Oh, great. Uh, anything else, Janet? Oh, yes. According to Forbes magazine, Elon Musk is now the richest man on Earth. Oh, that's great. It means I can afford to buy a Tesla. Hello and welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. I'm at home in London and I'm Gareth, also at home in his part of London, Zog. Hello. And in his part of London, not that far away from Zog's part of London, Alex Goy. Hello. Alex, how are you? And what are you doing in lockdown land? I'm sat in my office at home with a shaved head and a shaved face and black glasses and a red jumper on just like Zog (laughs) is in his part of London. Yeah, this is a little like looking at one of those stereo cam images of two almost identical images. And I thought I'd wear a red jumper to coincide with us. Okay, how are you, Brad? Yeah, getting by. I just noticed, actually, that because of how little I've been using the car recently, mould has been growing on my gear oh, no. shift. Oh. You know, on the leather. Oh, no. This is also like a humidity thing. So I've put dehumidifiers in there. But it did get me wondering whether anybody has done any studies on what kind of flora and fauna have adapted to grow in and on our vehicles. Because by this point, after 100 years of automobiles, I'm sure there are specialised moulds and spores and probably insects that have adapted to live in cars. Well, as we have learnt recently, if viruses can adapt in a matter of months, and I'm sure other life forms can take the Darwin principle as well. Any form of life that is based on DNA is going to evolve under environmental pressure. So there's going to be selective pressure. Having said that, viruses aren't strictly speaking life. They may be based on DNA or RNA. Viruses though because they're reproducing on a much faster time scale than most of the stuff out there the evolution is fast you know bacteria and viruses evolve pretty quickly so there's no chance of the mold in your car evolving to becoming sentient before the end of this program is what you're saying i'm just wondering if zog has figured out how to make a clone of himself I, 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 think, I think I'm looking at it. It's, it's, Are you trying to grow a spare? You are painting that picture. We have ended up looking remarkably similar today. It's a, there's some weird kind of lockdown synchronicity going on. Are you saying I'm made of your hand mould? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying there's something odd, you know, something unexplained going on here. I don't know what's going on. Can I move this conversation Please to do. cars away from biological technology? Probably a good idea. Yes, mate. <laughs> Let's move, I'm trying to find a link here, from hand mold to Hyundai. Is that a good enough link? Because I read in the last week that the Apple car idea is back on track. And this time, Apple are discussing with Hyundai, one of my favorite car manufacturers, as you know, about how they can work together on developing the Apple car. This is slightly surprising news, Zog, isn't it? I don't know. I mean, yes, it's unexpected in that it wasn't flagged up in advance, but it makes absolute sense for Apple to partner with a major automotive manufacturer. Yeah. Because what Apple don't bring to this party, you know, whatever Apple's strengths are, and they have a lot of strengths, they don't have experience in mass producing vehicles or mass producing anything like 
a vehicle. Yep. They need to partner with a manufacturer. I mean, arguably, Tesla's biggest problem is their lack of experience in manufacturing and in supply chains. That and the guy who runs his laissez-faire attitude to everything. Well, we can criticize Tesla for a lot of things, but their technology is very sharp. Their technology is on point. Their problems are to do with building enough of the things they've designed to a high enough quality and delivering enough of them to customers. Their problem isn't having shoddy technology or lack of demand. A type between Apple and a company like Hyundai, or Hyundai in particular, it would seem to me does offer potentially a really great combination of virtues because Apple are very, very good at getting their technology right. Granted, a car is a fair bit of a leap away from smartphones and computers, but that kind of technology is very much what is going to be critical to the success or failure of the next generation of our vehicles. So I think bringing Apple's technology expertise together with the manufacturing expertise and vehicle expertise of Hyundai offers some real potential. So yeah, I think this is good news. It's fascinating. Let's see where it goes. It is good news. I'm intrigued by this because... As we know, Hyundai have been pretty good at offering electric cars for a little while now, some of whom even offer pretty much a great deal of what Tesla offer at about two-thirds the price. What they don't have is that sort of brand cachet that Tesla have. So in some ways, this is as much a benefit to Hyundai as it is to Apple, that Hyundai are piggybacking on this tremendous worldwide brand that Apple is. But the thing that got me thinking was, actually, Hyundai are one of the two car manufacturers at the moment producing hydrogen fuel cell cars. And maybe this is Apple's ace that they're not going to produce a battery electric car they're going to possibly tap into hyundai's fuel cell electric cars and are going to produce a fuel cell car alex that's a random guess what do you think it's a leap and it's entirely within sort of the realms of possibility i guess but to do that to have that as your kind of launch gambit would be for apple somewhat foolish largely because the infrastructure isn't there when yep. you think about the electric infrastructure it's already knackered yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, as as is it's not very good and i know there's going to be someone listening this going i think you'll find there's more charge points now than there were 12 months ago yes but only three of them actually work uh, and you yeah, have to yeah, be yeah. subscribed to two of them um Sorry, the police are driving past my house. Someone has committed some sort of crime. Thank you, South West London. Off you go, police. I, I'm busy. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I don't think that opening gambit is going to be hydrogen. I think the link up between the two is really smart. Because if you remember the last sort of company that didn't make cars but wanted to make a car that had a crack and very publicly gave up was Dyson. Dyson. Yeah. And they were, what, billions in or 500 million or some ridiculous figure. And they went... This is too much money. Uh And part of that is because they had never done a car before. They could do a really good hoover to clean your car, but they hadn't reckoned with just how much money and R&D you actually need to throw into these things. So Apple partnering with Hyundai is a really, really, really smart move. What I'd extrapolate from all of it really is that if Apple and Hyundai are getting into bed together, Apple, who does software really, really well, says the man who's had iPhones for a billion years now, Apple can sort out the software. They can basically make everything inside it work seamlessly. It will be really good so long as they don't do a software update and then 
lunch everything and that is the risk that's one of the problems people have with tesla is of course that they treat their customers like beta testers which is not cool but hyundai can make an electric car there are readily available platforms not just the ones we know but the ones only available in the us you know the big sedans and saloons they've got all the genesis vehicles as well because mm-hmm. apple is is a luxury brand yeah you know premium you, you don't get much change out of a grand for a rectangle from apple so yeah. I can't see them going, yeah, all right, well, the Apple iCar is going to be based on a Kona, for example. I would reckon they would go on a Genesis platform, one of the bigger you know, sort of BMW-esque vehicles. Hyundai goes, right, we know that we can launch an electric vehicle. I will already place money that they're building a Tesla Model S rival as a Genesis right now anyway, so that all makes sense. What Apple has that Hyundai doesn't, is he says holding up a phone to only two people who can see it but they've got lidar and all that kind of smart tech built into the cameras of the iphone 12 Mm -hmm. and they've been working on that forever and ever and ever and ever and ever hyundai may not have been working on it to quite the same scale so at least apple has this sort of scalable tech and go oh yeah we, we figured out lidar we can measure distances quite comfortably you know you can measure the width of your sofa from the kitchen and it knows the maths so apple can bring that to it as well so hyundai all of a sudden has a platform an electric drivetrain that's already proven we already know it's good because people are buying it. It's cheaper than Tesla, but then you have a Tesla rivaling brand within your stable, and you have a brand that's done all the hard work with the AI that you're not necessarily an expert in. Actually, that all starts to make a lot of sense. Do you think this might be a slightly political decision as well? And that Apple, who do a vast majority of their manufacturing in China are trying not to put all their eggs in one basket and looking towards Hyundai, which, of course aren't necessarily a Korean company, because I think they build as many cars in Europe now as they do in Korea. So they're trying to avoid the all eggs in one basket in China sort of issue, because China's a bit of a political hotbed at the moment. There's increasing resistance to doing business with China, isn't there? In China, there are some political issues, and hotbed is a kind way of putting it. There are some pretty serious allegations being levelled against the place. I've not been there. I don't know enough about it to sensibly comment. I do know that where Apple builds its phones, and is it the Foxconn factory, there are some pretty serious allegations flying around of how they treat their people and how much they're paid and all that. But I don't think it's a matter of Apple putting all of its eggs in a Chinese basket, because while China does have a massive car industry, it's booming. There are so many Chinese brands coming out like every day. If they wanted to, they could have jumped into bed with, say, Neo, mm-hmm. who did the EP9 hypercar, and they've got all these other kind of sensible, normal person vehicles. They could have jumped into bed with Geely, because they have Polestar. The Polestar 2 would have been a perfect Apple thing, because the interior is nice and clean, like it's a beautifully yeah. put together thing, except the whole thing runs on Google. So that eliminates them. (laughs) Did you hear that, was it Neo this last week announced a Tesla Model 3 rival for China, which has, wait for it, a 600 mile, not kilometre, 600 mile range. Does it actually, though? Well, how long would it take to charge that up? I mean, it would take 600 weeks to charge that up, wouldn't it? I don't know. It's, It's one of those things, because we're still in the infancy of electrification, it's that era of tech that i really love but at the same time really hate because you know it's almost capable of doing everything you actually want it to do yeah but you're still a few years off it's why like 
going back to the iPhone now, is why the first iPhone was a really cool thing, but it was utter garbage because you couldn't copy and paste and it wasn't 3G and it was just a very expensive way to make phone calls. But you knew that a few years down the line, there'd be a 3G one with a camera that does the cool stuff that can do video and all this. And then, so it's coming and it's almost there. But yeah, this one can do 600 miles, but it will take a decade and a half to charge. Whereas in like two or three years, there'll be the car that can do 600 miles and will take 20 minutes to charge or whatever. In a sense, what you need more than something with a possible 600-mile range is to be able to charge your 200-mile range vehicle more quickly and easily. Yeah. You mm. know, that, that's a more practical benefit to the actual user of 95% of the vehicles. Would you rather carry around a small Evian bottle that you can refill from a tap often or a two-litre bottle in your hand? Right. And since we're talking about recharging energy sources, just to get back to that hydrogen thing. Yeah, I think, Alex, you're right. The hydrogen thing is probably not where they'd go with it. It's going to be mostly battery tech. And there was this suggestion that one of the things that Apple is going to be bringing to this is new battery technology, possibly based on a monocell battery design. Although there are some reasons to be sceptical about that. Monocell batteries, which involves having fewer cells in your battery, fewer individual cells in each battery pack, which therefore reduces the weight of the battery pack. There are some reasons to be sceptical about whether that's actually what they will be doing. But new battery technology is promised. Well, it's exciting times. An alliance between two very capable megaliths, and I can't wait to see what they come up with. Sorry, Mr. Musk, but I just got some breaking news. Okay, what is it? Well, Forbes have reassessed their statement that you're the wealthiest man on Earth, and they've revised it. Revised it? Uh, to what? Well, they say that your fortune now at almost $190 billion. You're now actually the wealthiest man in the known universe. Oh, that's great news. It means that now I'll be able to afford an Apple iCar. My attention was drawn in the last couple of weeks to a car that I hadn't seen coming and I was rather taken with it, I have to admit. It's the ProDrive BRX Hunter. Not a car that you would see on the road, or perhaps even a car you'd like to drive on the road, but what a good-looking thing it is. And it's very purposeful, because it was built with one purpose in mind, and that is to win the Dakar Rally, or for those of us who are old enough, the Paris Dakar Rally, as it was when it started in 1979. Have you two seen The Hunter? I have. It's gorgeous, isn't it? Yes, Wow. It's a lot bigger than you think. My first impression of it was that there's this weird thing about the design, not a bad thing, but a striking thing, which is if there's nothing else in the photograph to give it scale, you have an idea about how big it is. And if you then put a person alongside it, it's about one and a half times as big as you thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> I can't put my finger on what it is to do with proportions and lines or the size of the windscreen or whatever it is. But it's just one of those things where it seems like they've taken a certain sort of size of vehicle and then just scaled it up one and a half times. 
It's big. Well, it's an immense vehicle for lots of reasons, I guess mostly because it needs to have huge amounts of suspension travel to deal with the kind of surfaces that it goes on. Actually, it doesn't have that much suspension travel. Really? I believe one of the few rules in the rulebook has to do with suspension travel. Really? And so rather than having massive suspension travel, it has very, very beefy double wishbones and shock absorbers. I'm prepared to be corrected on that, but I think that is the case. One of the rules is you've got to be really uncomfortable for three weeks. (laughs) It's a real test of endurance. Those wishbones, by the way, aren't beefy enough because on something like day eight or nine of the 2021 Dakar, which is happening in Saudi Arabia, Sebastian Loeb driving one of the BRX hunters broke down in the desert because one of the wishbones had broken called back to central control that they call the bivouac and a support vehicle came out it took it four hours to get there with replacement parts and when they turned up they turned up with two left hand wishbones as opposed to a left and a right Uh, and of course it was the right hand wishbone that was broken i think that's right maybe in the other way around swear words and so they had to wait for another five hours for another vehicle to come out with the right wishbone he was delayed nine hours so Loeb is out of the race in terms of contention for being a winner but the vehicle was what three weeks old when they decided to enter it into the rally i mean talk about prototype racing they're nuts aren't they yeah i mean it's a famously tough event yeah i think you want to have a lot of testing under your belt before you go and run the dakar as it is now and the event is now run entirely in Saudi Arabia. This year it is, yeah. And it was last year too, I yeah. think. Yeah. And I think it will be for 2022. Well, this is the thing about the Dakar. You know, we are car nuts, the three of us. We are insanely obsessed with cars. We follow pretty much every race series there is. And yet the Dakar is kind of an unknown quantity. It's a bit mysterious. Alex, do you know anything about the Dakar at all? Uh, it's in a desert and it lasts ages and I know it's almost impossible to report on because a mate went out to try and report on it to follow the minis a few years ago and he was like oh really excited about this trip always wanted to see the Dakar and then he got back and I spoke to him a month or so after he was like how's the Dakar he went absolute nightmare because once the cars have gone past because you don't know where they're going to be you've got to sort of wait for various spotters and of course to get to where they are you have to either know a shortcut or somehow be faster than a rally raid car yeah good luck with that I, I, I don't know about you guys but on sand you don't mess around with rally raid cars do they have camels with warp velocity now sadly not i'm trying to think of a pun and i can't which is genuinely upsetting me you Uh, need to kind of be able to morph into an eagle and fly across the dunes to the next destination there aren't going to be many quicker ways of getting from a to b than in one of those rally cars and the good thing about the hunter though is that it at least looks cool and do you know why that is i do because one of the bestest people in all of the industry designed it. Yes, Ian Callum. Hasn't he done a good job? Yes, he has. Because most of those 
other bespoke prototype rally raid vehicles. For example, you mentioned the Mini. Now, the Mini that runs is about a Mini in the way that I'm Icelandic. (laughs) It is in no way Mini. And another example of that, you have to stand next to it to realise how big it is. It's about two or three times, and I'm not exaggerating, the size of an actual Mini, which itself is twice the size of the original Mini these days. It's about the size of a Range Rover, but it's called a Mini. It's got about as much in common with a Mini as I have with a football fan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but as I said before, if we're going to go down the it's not a Mini anymore route and get proper adenoidal and start cracking out weirdly flammable polyester jackets. No, a Mini Mini isn't Mini anymore. They're not the small, very polluting, slow, uncomfortable, oh, hang on. horrible to crash yeah, true. vehicles that they once were. Like, I get the whole love of the original Mini. I really want one myself, even though they're not ULES compliant, which means I can not own one as long as I live in London. But... The new cars, yeah, they've stolen the look, an evolution of the look. And yes, they've got the name, except it's all in caps now. But what you have to remember is that the generation, well, I'm going to sound a little bit like a knob, but my generation knew about the Mini, Yeah. but it died four years before I was allowed to drive. So they were still just about cheap enough. My old man would tell me stories about how he like learned to drive in Minis and then when he wanted a specific part, you just buy another Mini and glue it on. <laughs> and that was cool. It was proper smart. It was clever and they were simple and they were easy to work on. But this new generation of Mini, it's owned by BMW. It's okay if you crash it because it won't just accordion you into a paste. Yeah. They're fairly quick. They don't choke bunny rabbits. Okay, they're not brilliant on space, inside especially the early r53s and all that they're not that great but what mini is now is that sort of facsimile of the original car with the look and the quirkiness and the fact that there's not a straight line in any of them but now it's an aspirational vehicle yeah it's the thing that you want to have rather than the thing like oh yeah i've got a mini because it's cheap like no i got a mini because i actively want it it's a premium car yeah so today's lot yeah you could buy another mini to fix a bit of your mini that's going but it's a couple of grand not 50 quid and they've also done the successful thing of as the original mini was a style icon this new generation of minis i mean sure it doesn't have the cultural cachet that the original mini had but it's a proper desirable brand they've done a very good job of reinventing that for the modern age and that thing about crash safety that you mentioned, Alex, is absolutely critical. Yeah. You, know, yeah, you, you can't do that kind of tiny metal box anymore. You know, much as we love those old minis, you can't build those things and put them on the road anymore. They're just not safe enough. No. Well, the original mini was a car designed for... Carnaby Street in the 1960s. The current generation of Mini is a car that you can drive on the interstate in the United States yeah. without getting flattened by someone yeah. driving an SUV. And to be fair to BMW, to take an idea and to reinvent it for a much wider audience a much wider market and make it profitable and successful so successful that it was the only element of austin rover that they wanted to keep during the sell-off enough respect to them for that but anyway we've gone a little bit off topic sorry sorry we should be talking about the dakar back to the hunter 
and Dakar. I've been trying to follow it. You're absolutely right, Alex. Rallying is really hard to cover on television. Any sport which takes place in a stadium, a confined area, is much easier to cover for television. Something that happens on a series of rally stages is very hard to cover without helicopters. It's hard to do live. It's much easier to do recorded stuff. But the rally raid idea, this idea that you're not even on a track, you're in a flipping desert how the heck do you cover that and yet the material that they do shoot and bring back is unbelievably spectacular i was watching some in-car stuff of someone driving a buggy following a motorcycle and it's the motorcyclists of the dakar who get my respect those guys are crazy they're insane because there was this huge plume of sand coming up from the back wheel of this motorcycle they came up to the top of a sand dune and as they got over the top of the sand dune the motorcycle vanished and he went over the top of the dune and it was a i don't know a 60 or 70 foot virtually vertical drop off the edge and these guys who ride motorbikes at the dakar some of them finish the event with broken ankles both broken ankles and they're doing 500 kilometer stages with broken ankles are they insane yes well we all know motorcyclists are a completely different breed of human being they're all mental oh yeah well you know i've got a pin in here because of some minor accident and i got a pin in here i met a motorcyclist on a shoot years ago with filming an audi s3 in the countryside and this couple of lads rock up in their sort of leather onesies on their ridiculously noisy bikes and they're having a natter with us going oh so oh, what's this what's this that's 300 horsepower blah, blah blah oh well you know my bike's quicker than that and i go yeah but my car's safer and has brakes that can go around corners and he goes yeah yeah i have lost a lot of friends and i was like yeah what yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, but then they keep doing it because they like it because they're mental Oh, yeah. yeah. I am a motorcyclist. I don't own one at the moment, but I have done for many, many years. And I've had a number of tumbles and one in particular riding, you know, the storm drains in Los Angeles, where they shot the Terminator 2 sequence. I was doing a shot there for a magazine for Motorcycle International and went over the edge and... I came down on the front wheel, had my hand on the brake, the bike somersaulted over the front wheel, flattened, broke my hip, broke my arm. And yet I still rode it home. Oh, for goodness (laughs) Listen, the Dakar Rally, let me just tell you about some of the vehicles in the Dakar Rally, because they're absolutely fascinating. There's five categories of vehicles that race at the moment. There are motorbikes, there are quads, there are cars, there are buggies, and side-by-sides or lightweight vehicles. You know what these things are? Side-by-sides are effectively like a golf cart that's been modified that you sit alongside someone else. I wouldn't want to do a 500-kilometre stage in something like that. It's insane. Isn't there also a category for um, big trucks? Trucks. In normal, you know, kind of, yeah. you know, small lorries. Yeah, and the winningest, as the Americans say, <laughs> mark in the trucks is a firm called Kamaz. Do you know who Kamaz are? Have you ever heard of them? No, no. no, me neither. They're Russian. They've won it more times than anyone else. They build these incredible go-anywhere trucks. And a few years ago, they actually changed the rules in the Dakar to prevent the trucks from being too fast because people like DAF were building twin-engined trucks that produced a 1,000 brake horsepower and they were too fast and too dangerous. 
people die on the Dakar most years. You could argue it's the place where old rally drivers go to die. I hope not, because you've got greats like Carlos Sainz. I don't want him to die in a race. He's too cool. But go and look at the history of the vehicles that have won. I'm just going to read a list for you. Last year, it was a mini John Cooper Works. It's not really a mini. It is a mini. (laughs) There was the Toyota Hilux, heavily modified before that. The Peugeot 3008 DKR Maxi, again, nothing to do with the car that you drive on the road. It evolved out of the Citroen Rally Raid thing that they did. Volkswagen Tuaregs and the Mitsubishi Pajero Evolution. That's a killer car. Sorry, I don't mean killer. That's a cracking good car. That has won more times, I think, than any other brand. The Schlesher Buggy. They are amazing looking things. Oh, and Zog. Hello. Also, the Porsche 959. I'm surprised you didn't mention that yet. Yeah, no, a great bit of history there. Great technology. Yeah, driven one of them. Not the rally one, but the road one. You're joking. Really, you've driven a 959? Yeah, years ago. It was a video on Carfaction. No! On the road or elsewhere? Yeah, on the road. I I borrowed this. So there's one in the Porsche Museum. It's red, and it's got Porsche Museum written down the side of it. And we went playing around Stuttgart. It was mega. It's properly quick as well. But also sort of very practical and sort of, in a way, slightly ordinary for something that mental. Well, it's, it's that thing of like, have you driven a 911? Yes. Have you driven a fast 911? Yes, it is that. Except the view out the back is the kind of the wing. Yeah. And then everyone stops you and goes, oh my God, it's a 95 Everyone in Stuttgart knows everything about Porsche because why yeah, wouldn't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. It was mega. <laughs> yeah, it's got the kind of two turbos, the little one and the big one that BMW adopted a few years ago. And you go, oh, well, this is quite brisk. This is quite, oh my God, it's really fast. I'm going backwards and the world's going mental. It's like, oh yeah, it was good fun. That I've not driven the rally one because I'm not an idiot. <laughs> Alex, I think you've just made Zog very jealous, haven't you? No, I envy you. That must have been a blast. Here's a fun story about that sheet. We missed our flight to go to Stuttgart thanks to the state opening of Parliament. So we blamed the Queen for arriving 12 hours late. We then had to get up at four in the morning to film the Porsche Museum for a documentary about Porsche at Le Mans. Because it was 2014 it came out. And then spent another eight hours after that filming this 959 so i was exhausted more than a little bit tired and very excited all at once i slept for about a day when i got home (laughs) fantastic zog i think if you drove a 959 you would sleep for a month afterwards and never want to wake up wouldn't you it would certainly be quite something it would certainly make an impression there's ever a phalanx of motorsport that you haven't dived into have a look at the dakar by the time this program's post the 2021 race will be over and so all the highlights will be on eurosport i can recommend it it is breathtaking and nuts I don't know if you've noticed, but just to eat at advertising a lot at the moment, particularly as it's lockdown, and Snoop Dogg is singing on the adverts for them at the moment. So this got me thinking, what would Snoop Doggy Dog sing about if he was singing about cars? Or in our case, for copyright reasons, this is Spook Foggy Fog. Spook. 
yourself a chauffeur, suits and a hat, it's a 30 foot limo, why do you think of that, dogs in the front, got bitches in the back. No, I ain't being sexist, I'm talking about my pets, I gotta take my Labrador sometimes to the vets, got a great day if it's in no sweats. Jones. 
lockdown does funny stuff to you. I was in the park before Christmas, when was it, November, with my pal Alex, sitting on a couple of camping chairs, drinking Guinness, because that's all we could do. We can't go to our favourite Irish pub. And Alex said to me, should we get a couple of ready controlled cars so we can play with in the park? I said, oh yeah, yeah, I used to do RC cars years ago. He said, yeah, okay, what should we get? Should we get four-wheel drive, two-wheel drive? I said, oh well, as it's park stuff, we should go with four-wheel drive. And about a week later, the doorbell rang, And at the door was a man from Amazon with a gift for me, a Tamiya TT-02B four-wheel drive electric buggy, which my mate Alex had bought for me, a 150 quid kit as a gift. I I, I need to point out at this point, it's not me, Alex. There's no way I'm that kind. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, this is a different lovely Alex. Not that you're not lovely, Alex, I should say. And so I was then committed to buying radio equipment, batteries, and building this thing in my kitchen. And oh, I'm glad I did, because I spend far too much time in the park crashing this with my friend Alex. Now, have you two done much in the way of ready control or model car stuff, Soggy? Only on a kind of smaller scale, and I mean, you know, literally physically smaller scale. A while back, I got into those kind of really tiny micro Z cars. Yeah. They're a little bit bigger than sort of, you know, 143rd scale. Or maybe, you know, they're actually about the same size as a 143rd scale model car really tiny and very much you know an indoor tabletop kitchen floor vehicle right loads of fun and also there was a bit of a culture of modding these things that i can't say i got into very much but i think i made a, you know, made a couple of small modifications here or there yeah those things are so much fun you know being able to whiz a little race car well, i still have my little bright yellow rx7 they're fantastic little things nice i'm sure you would be the first to tell me it's not an rc car because it's not radio controlled it's infrared or something else but that's my rc experience i've always quite liked the idea of bigger outdoors i always like the look of those tamiya rc cars i wonder when you started that story i wonder whether it was going to be a tamiya vehicle i used to do radio control stuff years ago and i mean 1974 years ago (laughs) long before you were born alex i would imagine that was 12 years before me mate. i was 13 years old then and uh, i built a mardave radio controlled stock car with a little super tiger nitromethanol engine that was impossible to start and run and spun and crashed a lot but that was the last radio controlled car stuff i did i did quite a lot of radio controlled model aircraft stuff helicopters gliders powered aircraft for many years that was my only experience in our cars now what's happened in that 30 40 year gap is that technology has leapt on in ways i couldn't possibly have imagined first of all batteries we don't use nicads nickel cadmium anymore it's all lipos or nickel metal hydrides which give you incredible performance motors brushless motors which give the sort of power you couldn't imagine from an internal combustion engine car these days and they are proper quick and moreover the scale and reliability of the radio equipment and the cost of the radio equipment is so much cheaper than it was when i was a lad and that makes it so much more accessible you, know, you can just buy loads of receivers and servos and have multiple cars now with lots of radio sets in it alex have you done any model car stuff what's your bag because i am mechanically illiterate i don't believe that i really am many have tried 
all have failed to teach me how to do anything remotely technical or clever. Remotely! I have instead grown my collection of tiny Lego facsimiles of real cars. Good lad. Which is really, really bad because I'm running out of shelf. <laughs> what cars have you got then? Uh, hang on, if I turn round, I see if I can... Oh, it's a bit dark. Well, the thing is, this all started a few years ago because Lego brought out these things called Speed Champions, which were tiny versions of fast cars. And the, the first ones they brought out were the Holy Trinity of hypercars, the P1, the 918, and the LaFerrari. And there was a Ferrari race car as well. And we did this April Fool's competition video for an old job of, like, what's fastest P1918 or LaFerrari? And, like, really built it up and really built it up and then started in a studio. And then the punchline was, which is fastest? We find out to build. And then it's (laughs) feverishly building Lego. And lots of people got very cross. And I kind of took these home and got a little bit addicted to them because they were just the right price they were just they were like 12 quid or something so like you're in the supermarket and you see one and go yeah all right because that's you know it's half an hour of building or 40 minutes of building like that's quite pleasant i'd do that and they're ideal gifts as well so i've ended up with a shelf full of them and they've just made them bigger as well so last year for my birthday which was week and a half before lockdown started kicked in a friend of mine was like here is your birthday present. It is a Lego Ferrari. So I built that during lockdown one. I was tweeting it and then a colleague got in touch and went, oh, you you, you did Lego. Do you want to write something about it? And I was like, can I expense the other set that I really want? He's like, yeah, go on then, sod it. Throw that on the bill. So I built that, which is the Audi S1 Quattro thing. Oh, yes, lovely. And then people started selling them on Twitter. So I started buying them. So now I've got lots of 911s and a Mustang. Oh. And it turns out someone I know... A lovely man on Instagram. He's called C for Craig. Craig Callum is his name. He used to design them. So I've got all of his work on, on my shelf. It's the best thing because it doesn't take up much space yeah. unless you end up with 50 of them. <laughs> that can happen. Whoops. It can happen to the best of us. But what I find it does is because I'm quite a restless soul in that I don't find it easy to concentrate on one thing. So there has to be lots of things going on in the background. So the telly will be on, I'll doom scrolling through whatever. I'll be watching something while cooking or other stuff. But Lego, you sit down and once I've convinced myself that I'm going to do it, I sit down and I just make a thing. It removes you from yourself a little bit. It's very zen, isn't it? Yeah. Admittedly, I don't have something to go wanging around the park in. But I walk past my shelf and I remember what each one was for, you know? Yeah, yeah. Which I really like. And having spoken to Craig, there is a set that I need. There's always another set that we need. So do you remember building the Unimog together, the Lego Unimog at my house a few Christmases ago? Yeah, well, I assisted in a junior capacity and I do love building a good bit of Lego Technic. Yeah. I love the fact that they managed to recreate so much proper full-size engineering in miniature plastic. Yeah. Well, as I always say, any modelling is model engineering. You're simply engineering in miniature. And one of the great satisfactions for me of the Tamiya stuff I've been doing is building and understanding the engineering, then going off and breaking it and having to repair it. Touch wood, I haven't broken too many bits on mine. It's well intact. And I would invite you two now to buy yourselves a couple of Tamiya kits and we could go out racing together. But unfortunately, due to lockdown, we're not allowed to do any unnecessary travel north and south of the river to meet up. So instead, I'm going to make another suggestion. I have recently, quite by coincidence with my reinterest in RC cars, been invited to join a project called Wireless Racer. 
which is something which occupies a space somewhere between esports and radio controlled cars in that it's racing radio controlled cars from a first person point of view over the internet so you drive these cars from your computer but they are real cars on a real track in Milton Keynes. Now, I have to say, full disclosure, I have been invited to become a presenter on this. I'm going to make a documentary about the process of creating this league for wireless racing. And I'm going to be the host for this league online. So you can come and actually race against me. But if you are interested, go and have a look at the website, you two, and anyone else listening to this program. It's wirelessracer.com where you're driving radio controlled cars. You don't even need to own a radio controlled car. You just need to own a computer with a web browser. So we can actually form a Gareth Jones on Speed team, us three. Now, there are certain technical issues I don't fully understand how they're going to overcome, but there have been trials and it does work and I've seen it work. How do you overcome latency? This is the thing. Surely there's a time delay between you operating a command, it being converted to a digital signal, flying the speed of light down the internet and then getting to a car. How on earth can you drive a car around a circuit remotely without crashing? You sent me the link earlier on and I had a look at this and My first reaction was, I think this does honestly look great. I want to have a go. I did wonder the lag latency could be an issue. And that also ties into the question of reaction time. Because when you're racing a small scale vehicle like that, things happen, relatively speaking, much faster than they do on a larger scale. Yeah. So take any given corner on that racetrack. You're going to get through that corner much more quickly than you would get through a comparable corner on a full-size racetrack. So your reaction time to anything that happens to the vehicle presumably has to be quicker. I mean, I say this having not done any RC racing as you have, but I wonder whether the combination of that with lag latency could be tricky to deal with. But then again, this is one of the things that I would assume as long as the latency is sufficiently small, you just get used to this. It's a thing that you adapt to. It's like a muscle memory thing. Yeah. You know, it's just learning a different sort of set of inputs and results. So, yeah, I want to have a go, and I think it looks fascinating. My other question, how many people do they anticipate getting involved in this? And what's the kind of bar to entry for a punter who wants to just have a go? Yeah. How much does it cost them to rent a vehicle and go racing well as i understand that you join as a club member and you wait in a queue for a slot to come up and it's not expensive don't quote me on the exact figures but i've seen a racetrack with what must have been 20 cars running on it at the same time now if you imagine that this is a worldwide sport because of course it's not limited to the uk you're bound to fill up that slot pretty quickly which is why it's going to be a league there will be constant streams and streams of races You know, you'll have to qualify, all that kind of stuff. It's fascinating. It's not something I know a great deal about, but I've agreed to take part in it because it's absolutely fascinating. And part of me has already reasoned out that this is actually, A, really appealing because I like RC cars, and B, you can do it from home and under lockdown conditions. That's a great solution. So I believe, I'm hoping... 
it's going to be a big hit. Can I count on both of you to have a go at some point? I'll have a go. I mean, I'm terrible at any form of motorsport, so I'll definitely try and I will almost certainly crash. Explosions not guaranteed, but hoped for. You're a good gamer, though, Alex, aren't you? Um, I'm okay. During lockdown 1.0, I dismantled my office and set up a big plastic steering wheel where my laptop should be and worked from the sofa in my office. And then every day at 4.30, I think it was, or 4 o'clock, I'd jump on and we did Gran Turismo streams for whoever wanted to join in, which was great fun. Yeah, it's more akin to doing that sort of thing, I think, than doing real ready-controlled cars, because it's first person, you know. Right. And often with an RC car, the car is going the opposite direction. You, know, you turn left to go right, right to go left. But with first-person point of view, you're always heading in the direction that you're steering. So it's just like a game. I can't wait to see how we all do. And I will keep you posted on how that develops here on the show at some point. But that's it for Gareth Jones on Speed for now. We're out of time sorry about that too much to talk about you've been listening to Zog goodbye to Alex Goy bye and me Gareth and we'll see you for what will be the second episode of the 17th season of Gareth Jones on Speed here in a fortnight see ya to send us an email see pictures get song lyrics join our Facebook fan site follow us on Twitter or to find out about sponsorship opportunities go to garethjones.tv don't drive Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed!